Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody, and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with this psychic sister. This is Katie Weaver, and you are here for case updates. I am live. I'm on my own tonight because uh, you might know that I gave Christy the plague. (laughs) So, unfortunately, she's just not feeling good enough to be with us tonight. So, If you all wouldn't mind sending a little extra love her way, that would be great because uh, she is feeling pretty rough and it is my fault, so not good. But I am here and we do have some case updates for you guys tonight. Yeah, a few interesting things happening. So I need to run over to YouTube and get us set up here really quick. See, this is usually a two-man job, (laughs) but when you're doing it yourself, well, I'm a pretty good multitasker, to be honest. I don't know if I've ever told you guys this, but when my kids were little, I did daycare, home daycare, and I would have eight kids or more in my care at the same time, so I got really good at doing a lot of things at once. Cooking lunch, nursing a baby, taking care of a toddler, you know, the works. (laughs) Hey, I want to start saying hi to everyone in the chat room. We've got Deborah, Innocuous, Nashville, RJ, Moonbeam, Bianca. Welcome, everybody. How are you guys? I hope you don't have the plague, by God. <laughs> and, of course, you know, the age-old question that we ask around here, what did you make for dinner? The answer here so far is nothing. I just came from softball. One more week, one more week of spring softball. So my husband and I are on our local girls softball board. And so we are in charge of various uh, games, uh, you know, all throughout April and May. And so we're the field managers. We're in charge of prepping the fields, chalking them, things like that, obtaining and training umpires. And then we through the games with our umps to be their backup if they have a question or they get an unruly parent or coach, which happens sometimes. So we've uh, seen a whole lot of softball this spring. It's been a lot of fun. One more week, I'm kind of glad. I'll tell you what, on Wednesday and Thursday nights, I'm uh, dashing home to get home for live updates. And uh, that's okay, but I'm ready. I think I'm ready to be done. Yes, thank you, innocuous. I am feeling a lot better. I'm still coughing and still feeling a little uh, heavy in my chest, but much, 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 much better than I was. You know, I got COVID tested last Friday, and they said it wasn't COVID. But if this isn't COVID, it's her evil sister, because my God, have we been sick at my house. 
Scott started this, my husband. It's all his fault, to be completely honest. <laughs> but uh, he's still sick, too. I'm working now on, oh, my goodness, 10 days. 10 days. Yeah. All righty. Hello, Cranky. I'm glad to see you guys all here. Well, let's get into it. We have a few things. Last week, Christy shared with you guys an Idaho death row inmate named Gerald Pizzuto. So he's scheduled to be executed on June 2nd. And as you know, if you listened last week to case updates, he was sentenced to death for the 1985 murders of two people in Idaho County. And he's been in the Idaho State Penitentiary ever since. But um, he was supposed to die on June 2nd via lethal injection. His attorneys last week had filed for uh, for a clemency hearing because he, or a commutation hearing, sorry, because he's dying. So he's dying of bladder cancer and his attorneys basically are saying there's no reason to execute him. He is, he may not even make it to June 2nd. Apparently he's in really rough shape. And so they have granted that hearing. And so we're just waiting to see what's going to happen with that. But it's very likely at this point that they, yeah, they're saying now, no, he will not receive a lethal injection on June 2nd. So they're going to let the uh, Idaho Commission of Pardons and Parole take a look at it. So at any rate, he is, uh, he's very ill and he'll be out of here in no time anyway. So that's kind of, that's where it's at. So that's an update to last week. So he will not be executed, at least at this point. They're going to take another look at it and see if that's actually necessary, considering. So I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that. Good choice, not a good choice. Pros and cons, I mean, pros, the state doesn't have to go to the expense of the actual execution. The mental health of uh, all involved doesn't have to be shaken down by having an execution. To me, those are the pros. The cons, I wonder about the family of the victims, how this affects them, if they're okay with it, if they're not. You know, this is uh, something that I'm sure has been weighing very heavy on them and they've been waiting for as well. Are they good? I don't know. But uh, we'll keep an eye on that too and see if there's anything in the news about the family of the victims. But it's curious anyway to see what happens here. He's certainly not the first. Uh, people on uh, death row die all the time before they make it all the way through the judicial process into execution. So it's not a big surprise. But, however, talking about execution in Idaho, we brought to you guys a case, oh, a few months ago, about Thomas Creech. Thomas Creech is... You might remember him. He is someone who is after, who is, he's been on death row twice. So he was on death row in Idaho for two, or a murder of a couple in the 70s. And then sometime in the late 70s, a rule or a law changed and he got, they, they dropped all, I think, uh, executions at that point or death penalties at that point. And for a while there wasn't any. And so his sentence was officially changed to life in prison. And then in 
the early 80s, he beat uh, an inmate to death. Do you guys remember this story? I hope that you do. So his name was Thomas Creech, but the one I'm concerned about is his victim, David. So David, and I don't have his last name in front of me, I apologize. David was disabled. And when we presented this case, Christy and I were both very concerned about it because it didn't seem like David belonged in the penitentiary. He was in the pen only for a few years. He had a, a car theft uh, conviction, but or maybe a grand theft conviction. But at any rate, he was disabled. He tried to kill himself in high school. He shot himself and he didn't die, but had some pretty serious disabilities. He cognitive disabilities and physical disabilities, and he didn't walk well. And he had quite a few problems. And at the time, Christy and I were both really bothered by that. Like, why was he in prison? You know, I mean, obviously he'd committed a crime. I get it. But was the state pen the right place for him? So Thomas Creech was working. He was also an inmate, of course, uh, for life. But he was working as a janitor. And he didn't like David. He had beef with him. And because David made messes that he had to clean up and he was the janitor. So he did some weird, he did some weird befriending of David. And he gave David a sock full of batteries and told him to defend himself with it if he needed to. And then he waited a few days and he started a fight with David. And David showed up with the sock of batteries and tried to hit Thomas with them. He was not up to having a physical fight. So Thomas easily overpowered him. He took the sock full of batteries and he beat David to death. And in the uh, reading about this case, the warden said that it was it's the most grisly, heinous thing that they have ever seen. What he did to poor David's body, it's, it's horrifying. He, he beat him until the sock broke. And then he continued to kick him in the head and face until there was like nothing left. It was a really, really disgusting and horrible thing. Really disgusting and horrible thing. So Thomas Creech ended up back on death row, you know, as you do when you do things like that. So anyway, we had talked at the time that we were just really sad about the whole David thing and wished that uh, we understood more about his situation. Well, a little miracle occurred a couple of nights ago. We received a message on Facebook from a lovely girl named Kelsey, who happens to be the niece of this guy, of David. And she wanted to tell us a little bit more about him. So he was a brother to three little girls. She even shared a couple of pictures with me. I'm going to get them up here for you guys to see. I really appreciate updates like this. Uh, we hear from families fairly frequently, and it really is a nice thing. It's interesting. We'll get really nice updates from, like, close family members, from, like, further out friends and cousins. They'll be the ones who take upon the authority to be rude to us <laughs> sometimes. But usually families that are closer to situations, we get some good updates that are, that are helpful. So this is David as a child with his three little sisters and mom. And I'm not sure if this is dad or stepdad. And then this is the photo of David as a teenager. 
So David had a hell of a hard time. So when he was 18 years old, his mother committed suicide and David found her. David and his sister found her. Really, really messed him up. It was really hard on him. And at that point, he and his siblings had to move back to Pocatello. They'd been with mom. They had to move back to Pocatello to live with bio dad and his wife, who were both extremely abusive to David and also to his little sisters. And David was constantly stepping in and trying to protect his sisters from the abuse that they had received uh, or were receiving at the time. At any rate, at some point, he did also attempt to take his own life. And then, as we know, he also, he then fell into some crime himself that landed him in the state pen for a few years. And that's basically, that's his story. And then, as we know, Thomas Creech ended it for him there. So I, I want to thank her very much. Uh, thank Kelsey for providing us that update. I have wondered a lot about David and what his story was all about. So now you know. It's sad to me because he didn't belong there, but also he would have been out of there in a few years. He didn't have a long sentence. And he could have gone on with his life and found some happiness. And Thomas Creech took that away from him and didn't give him that opportunity, which really sucks. But, you know, also, as we know, Prison's a really rough place, and that's what happened. And we also know that that put Thomas Creech back, back where he belonged. Yep. So I thought you guys would appreciate that update. Now, lastly, we have another update from a case that we brought to you guys a few months ago. This was Faith Lindsay. We've talked about this quite a bit. Lindsay was is from the Chickasaw tribe. This is an MMIW case. This happened in Oklahoma. And initially, her boyfriend was charged. This was a domestic violence situation. And her boyfriend was charged with, uh, with murdering her kid named Tanner Washington. And then there was a big change in jurisdiction. So essentially, the Supreme Court ruled that the better part of the eastern part of Oklahoma is tribal land that has been uh, misappropriated and they returned it to the tribes there, which is cool, except for that it has created some big jurisdictional issues, and this is one of them. So the state had charged Tanner Washington in the murder of Faith Lindsay. And when all of these changes came down, they had no choice but to drop their charges because it's really, it wasn't their place to charge him any longer. So then it was on the federal government to recharge him in federal court, but there was no promise that they would. They could do it and they could decide not to do it. So we've been waiting to see. So what they did is when they dropped the charges on Tanner, they built something into his, uh, the, the paperwork or the, I don't know, the decision there in order to hold him, put him on a 30 day hold, hoping to give the federal government enough time to get him charged before they had to release him. 
uh, you know, not wanting to release him because who knows, right? Then where does he go? I mean, they could still charge him, certainly, but you know, it, their opportunity to do so could have been limited. And of course, you know, what if he disappeared on them? So we have waited uh, with bated breath, watching and watching to see what would happen. And finally, last week, Tanner Washington was finally charged in federal court. So this was a really big deal because uh, there was always a chance the federal government would choose to not pick up his case, but they did. So he is in federal custody now in the Pittsburgh County Jail in McAllister, uh, Oklahoma. So it looks like he, his first day in court was two days ago. That was his arraignment. And then we'll go from there. So we'll keep an eye on this case. That's a big deal. We're really excited to hear it. Uh, we were really hoping that for Faith's family that they would get that justice. And we'll continue to see that one through. So, yeah, big doings for sure. Hello, Patsy. Nice to see you here. So back to the initial conversation, uh, I had asked what you guys thought about that uh, death penalty uh, situation uh, about uh, not carrying forth with the execution in Idaho because uh, of the inmate that is ill. And so I just wanted to share that. So Nashville said, fry him after he's dead. He, he did the crime. Moonbeam said the murder occurred in 1985 and he was just now being executed. Yeah, it's insane how long this stuff takes to work through the courts without a doubt. Yeah. So, yeah. Death penalty is kind of a tough one, you know? It is. I think I stand in both sides of it. Yeah, I, yeah I'm that guy. I, I kind of have energy in both corners. I do. Now, if I had family, you know, that had been murdered, maybe I would have a completely different energy in it. And maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. I, I can see both sides of it. Sometimes I feel like, yeah, most definitely I'm all for it. And other times I go, I'm squeamish, really squeamish. So I don't know. I think it's okay. I think it's okay to just to not know, I guess. But I know some people have very strong feelings about it as well. So do we plan on doing Brandon Lawson? I'll put it on our list. I'm not actually familiar with Brandon Lawson, but I'm not opposed to taking a look at it for sure. Yeah. So those are the case updates that I have for you guys tonight. Believe it or not, all has been pretty quiet in the Daybell matter, except for that I'm quite sure this is the week that we were told that the grand jury would be convening. Now, of course, that is supposed to be very quiet, right? And it's supposed to be a secret. We weren't supposed to know about it convening at all until it's over with, but somebody leaked something up in here, you know? <laughs> but uh, so, but I believe this is the week it's supposed to be happening. So all week long, I've been feeling very curious about that. Is it happening in St. Anthony? Is it happening in Rexburg? I don't, I think it's happening in St. Anthony, but at any rate, uh, I'm curious. I'm curious. Uh, we all should be curious. And we'll know, you know, at some point they will, if they're charging, 
bringing murder charges, and that will come, I would imagine, fairly soon. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, a few weeks ago it was leaked that the prosecutor in Fremont County had called for the convening of a grand jury to help them decide what, if any, murder, murder charges to bring against Chad and Lori in the deaths of Tylee, JJ, and Tammy Daybell. And the way it works in Idaho with grand juries, if the grand jury does not indict, they can't charge them. So they have to really make their case to the grand jury here and let them decide, do they have enough evidence to charge and what exactly should the charges be? So again, the leak we had heard was would be that that would be happening the week of the 17th, which is right now. So I don't know for positive that's happening because again, it all should have been secret, but that's what our understanding is. So with that being known, it is very possible that we'll see murder charges coming in the Daybell case here in the next short while. Yes, Tammy was on that list. Yep, Tammy was on that list. So that is, uh, yeah. So anyway, we, there's a lot we don't know right now, but we're, we're waiting with bated breath here to see. And again, this is not Rob Wood. This is not the special prosecutor, right, that had been assigned. Rob Wood is actually the Madison County prosecutor. But see, when this all went down last year, the Fremont County prosecutor was re retiring. She was almost done. So she didn't want to take on these cases knowing that she was almost gone. So they had assigned Rob Wood, who's actually the Madison County, the neighboring county prosecutor, to try Daybells, both of them, in the, all of the conspiracy charges when they found the kids' bodies last summer. So he's not the one who's asked for the grand jury. So now, of course, there is a new prosecutor in Fremont County that was installed back in January. And that prosecutor is the one who said, okay, we want a grand jury. We have Tammy's autopsy results. We have these dead kids on this property. We're going to decide if we are bringing murder charges. So it's all very interesting to see how it's all playing out and we'll see what goes on. It's uh, it's pretty uh, pretty exciting stuff, I think, pretty compelling stuff. And, you know, a lot of people are really, really hoping and waiting to see if murder charges will come. So I believe they will. I, I fully believe that they will. I think it's an interesting choice to bring the grand jury. And the reason I think they're doing it is because everything that happens with the grand jury is secret. And see, they've had to be very careful because the special prosecutor's office versus the prosecutor's office, they aren't the same entity and they aren't privy to the same information. If you'll recall, one of the things that the defense Mr. Means and Mr. Pryor have hassled the hell out of the prosecutor for are the results of Tammy Daybell's autopsy. And the prosecutor keeps not giving it to them because her autopsy has nothing to do with the cases that he is trying, right? But they're trying to get ahead of the game. And so they wanted to get a hold of that autopsy. And finally, a month or so ago, when they were in uh, yet another conference hearing with the judge, he said, 
I don't even have it. They won't give it to me. Well, of course they wouldn't give it to him. It has nothing to do with the case that he is trying. But that was a clue, right? Because something was going on with that. We know it came back a few months ago. Chad's own children in a court TV interview, his daughter Emma said that they would not tell them what was on it or let them see it. This was like at Christmas time. And so we know there's something brewing there. Anyway, so now we have this other prosecutor's office. They're working on it. And they are the ones that called the grand jury. So at any rate, we'll see. Yeah, Carmen said, I hope the grand jury is convinced to charge. Me too, Carmen. Me too. It'll be very interesting to see what they do, who gets charged with what. And then we'll go from there. But see, again, I think that the reason they're doing going grand jury style instead of pretrial, like they did with uh, the original charges, is to protect evidence that could possibly be seen in different cases. So it, it's this is pretty delicate. It's pretty sticky stuff. So anyway, we'll see what happens. It's, uh, <laughs> it's certainly challenged all of our internet law degrees, hasn't it? <laughs> I have been lucky to be able to consult with lawyer friends a few times about what the hell does this mean and why would you maybe do this? But this has been a very interesting uh, case for everybody to be following. But again, in the the name of justice, I really, really hope that we do see more charges soon for all of the families that have been completely destroyed by the decisions of some very, very ill people. So that's it, you guys. That's what I've got for you tonight. We will be back tomorrow night with the psychic hour. Um, I think planning on it. I will for sure. We'll see if uh, Miss Christie's feeling good enough. Dang it. And then you can expect some pop-ups from us this weekend too. So we still have lots more good stuff to come. And I hope that you've been able to take a look at our cases so far this week. We did the Amityville case yesterday. This is the DeFeo family murders and the Amity, what we call the Amityville aftermath. And on Tuesday, I did the incredible tale of Bobby Dunbar. If you guys have not ever heard the story of Bobby Dunbar, really interesting. Yet another DNA for the win kind of case. And then, of course, on Monday, we did Ed Gain. If you're familiar at all with Ed Gain... He was uh, not quite a serial killer, but a killer who did some unthinkable things. He was a grave robber, body snatcher type, and a killer. But anyway, so we put out all kinds of interesting work this week. Uh, we have not put out an MMIW case yet this week. It's coming in case uh, in, in pop-ups coming up this weekend. So we're excited for that, too. So thanks, you guys, so much for being here. I hope you have a lovely night. And we'll be back tomorrow night. This has been True Crime Paranormal with this psychic sister. Take care, guys. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower.
True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.